1: of passion when it comes to the Daytona 500. I'm one. I love the race. We have plenty of passion when it comes for football games, basketball games, hockey games, whatever. We have plenty of passion for sitting and being baked in the sun. We have plenty of passion for eating. Oh, we love to eat, don't we? We have plenty of passion for all these things. Oh, how we would take that passion and direct it towards God. Oh, if we would have zeal for God.
0: What passions do you have in your life, and what actions do they inspire? Pastor Dave challenges you today by asking this question. It's hard not to be swayed by the things of this world and to end up placing all of your time and energy into them. But if you could place Jesus above all else, you'll then understand what truly matters. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John, chapter 2, as he begins his message, Conversion, Then Cleaning. You
1: are sure. We're going to be in John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, the gospel according to John. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out, drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now throughout the Bible, there's various symbols are used. And there are various symbols used to represent various things. One of those things that symbols are used for is not a thing, it's a he, and it's the Holy Spirit. For example, the dove represents the Holy Spirit. Other examples might include the wind, light, oil, and even fire. These all represent the Holy Spirit through Scripture. And also we find in Scripture and throughout Scripture that wine is used in a wide variety of ways. Wine can represent a drug, or it can represent a blessing. It it can be a symbol of debauchery, and it it can be a symbol of abundance. Wine was part of the drink offering, symbolizing being poured out for service. Wine was part of Melchizedek's blessing on Abraham. And several several thousand years later, Jesus uses wine in the Passover representing the blood of the new covenant, his very blood. That leads many to believe that wine can also be a symbol of the Holy Spirit, representing the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Follow me on this. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 5, Verses 37 and 38, Jesus is speaking. He's giving them parables. I'll read from 36 to, I'll read all the way down, 36 to 39. And he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new one makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Now we know that wineskins is a type of vessel. And again, throughout Bibles, throughout Scripture, vessel becomes a symbol for people. Vessels become a symbol for people. For Christians, there's the old man and the new man. The old man represents the life we had before conversion. The new man, the new vessel, is the life that comes because of conversion. We're born anew, born again. Our old lives, our old ways, are entirely incompatible with the new life. The new wine, the new life of the Holy Spirit. The new life requires change. It requires expansion. It requires a steady improvement, while the old life... There was never really any desire to change. Never really any desire to rid ourselves of what was old. Now remember, the new wine is tied to the blood of the Passover, the new covenant, which results in us receiving God's Spirit. The new blood, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, accepting Him as Savior and Lord. We are cleansed by His blood and we receive the Holy Spirit. And then when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit... One of the spiritual results is the power to change, to change our lives, to just say no. Trying to cram all that into a person who is unwilling to change will invariably result in his coming apart at the seams like an old wineskin. Jesus' point here is clear. You can't fit his, Jesus' new life into an old form. This explains why Jesus did not begin to reform the movement of Judaism. He didn't work with the rabbinical schools. Jesus says, I haven't come to patch up your old practices. I haven't come to make the old practices new. I've come to give you an entire new set of clothes, an entire new set of practices. And just because people are more comfortable with the old, they assume that it's better. I'm more comfortable with the old, and so what's got to be better than the new? The new is kind of scary. The new is kind of frightening. One commentator I read said this, and I love it. The epitaph on the tombstone of many a dead church reads, quote, we never did it that way before, unquote. Pastor Chuck used to always say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not break. So last week, we read as Jesus turns water into wine, the jars that the water was placed in were there to fulfill the Old Testament requirements of ceremonial washing. And they were empty at that time because all the guests that came to the wedding had to go through the ceremonial washing of their hands and their feet. This was part of the law. But when the water pots are again filled to the brim, Jesus transforms the water. And in essence, it was a sign of him transforming Judaism. It was transforming Judaism. It was a miraculous conversion from the old ways of the law, the ceremony and the purification, to the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. John made note of it in chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The spiritual cleansing of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross supersedes all ritual washings all traditions, all ceremonies of man. Jesus fulfilled the rituals. He fulfilled the law. He replaced it with something better. We said this last week. He replaced it with himself. He replaced it with himself. So at the wedding feast of Cana that day, Jesus used this changing of water to wine as a sign of the new covenant in his blood. He converted the water, which represented the law, the old way, the old life, the old nature, and he turned it into new wine. And new wine represents the new covenant, the new way to God, the new birth in the Spirit. Very shortly, can't tell you when because I don't know, we're going to be in chapter three, and maybe by December. But in chapter three, you all know that Jesus has a conversation with a certain Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he speaks to the Pharisee. And during that conversation, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus's response is, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus says, no, one must be born of water and spirit. You must be born again. The new life, the water birth of a woman. The spiritual life happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. The water birth represents the old life while the spiritual birth represents the new life born in the Spirit. Now, in today's verses, we see Jesus going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And as he goes into the temple, he sees something wrong. He sees that the system is broken. It's corrupt. And the marketplace has been moved into the temple area. And the temple of God is being dishonored. The temple basically became a mall. One commentator called it a Walmart. One-stop shopping. Instead of worship and prayer and praise, Jesus found a feeding frenzy of corruption and greed. The Apostle John begins Jesus' ministry with a miracle of conversion, the changing of water into wine. And now he shows us Jesus' work of cleansing as he cleanses the temple. And this is how Jesus works. This is how He works in you. This is how He has worked in me. Conversion, and then cleansing. Conversion, then cleansing. Try to follow that thought. As we look at our text this morning, we go back one, and in 2.12, it says, After this, after the wedding, He, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, He, His mother, His brothers, and His disciples, and they did not stay there many days. So Jesus goes down to Capernaum. Capernaum becomes his headquarters. Capernaum seems like he's always retreating to Capernaum. It's always a place where he goes. But we didn't stay very long because there was a very, very important event happening in Jerusalem. And Jesus needed to be there. Look at 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that they all went with him. It just says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It was required that all males go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. All should go. Some took their families. Some just went by themselves. And you know that the Passover is one of three feasts that the Jews were required to celebrate. And by the time of Christ, the Passover had become a major spring festival. To prepare for the Passover, they would repair the roads to handle the great mass of people. They would whitewash the tombs so nobody would accidentally touch them and become unclean. Homes would be clean. Cooking utensils would be washed. The house was searched to make sure there was no leaven found in the house. Leaven represents sin. Those living in Jerusalem were expected to put up guests so they thoroughly and thoroughly cleaned their house. And as you know, Passover celebrates the time the Jews were delivered from Egypt. Jews from all over the world come to the temple in Jerusalem to present their offerings of sheep, oxen, or doves. The animals would be sacrificed in the temple. The fat would be burned, and the blood would be offered on the altar. The meat would be taken home, roasted, and eaten by the family. It was at this time that they would pay the temple tax of silver, which was a half shekel coin. Passover was supposed to be a special time of worship, both in the temple and in the family. In the Gospel of John, he will record three Passovers. The final Passover is basically what we call the Last Supper, right before Jesus' crucifixion. We'll study that in a couple of years. So Jesus, fulfilling the law, goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Look at 14. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. He immediately goes into the temple. And I love it because in Luke and in the three gospels uh, where the, uh, um, and, and all four gospels where the temple is cleansed, he calls it his father's house. I love that. He calls it his father's house. But what he finds there greatly disturbs him. Inside the temple he saw merchants selling ox, sheep, and doves. Why? Because it was inconvenient for the people to bring their animals all the way from wherever they lived. It was inconvenient for them to bring their animals all the way from where they lived to be sacrificed, so they sold them there. Their journey was long. They brought their sacrifice to Jerusalem. He also saw the money changers. Remember, it was a time to pay the temple tax. But, you couldn't pay the temple. If you were from Rome, you couldn't pay the temple tax with a... Coin that had Caesar's picture on it. You couldn't do it. That was considered blasphemy. So you had to change it from that coin into a temple coin. That's why they did this kind of thing. So these all seem like good things, right? I mean, they're making a way. They're making it easier for people to come and do their sacrifices because the animals are already there. They're making it easier for people to pay the temple tax because they're changing money. It's an exchange, right? Well, not so fast. There's several things that Jesus saw that was happening that dishonored God and cheapened the temple. First of all, they used the outer court for this activity. Now, there are four courts in the temple. There's the priest court that only the priest could go in here. There was the court of the Jews that only natural-born Jews were allowed. This was the court where they handed over the sacrifices to the priest. There was the court of the women that only women were allowed. They were not allowed any further than the court of the women. And then on the outer court, there was the court of the Gentiles. It was outside, basically, of everything else. It was a large open area, like I said, that turned into a Walmart. It was a supermarket. They could get anything they want there. Annas, according to Josephus, the high priest at that time, sold franchises for concession stands to the various merchants and money changers, to the highest bidder. It was like going to a flea market, and everybody else had to pay one price, but when you got there, you paid a little less because you're going to give back money, or you paid more. He was making a killing. He was making this huge profit. The merchants were charging inflated prices for the oxen, the sheep, and the doves. And better yet, if you bought an oxen, a sheep, or a dove, the priest would look at it and go, unclean. And you had to purchase one of the clean animals. Then the priest would turn around and sell your animal as clean to somebody else. It's a scam. The money changers would cheat the people by charging an unfair exchange rate for foreign coins. Jesus saw the greed, he saw the corruption and the wickedness being carried out right there in the temple of the God in the court of the Gentiles, and this made him insane. And another reason it made him insane because it was the court of the Gentiles. Jesus had a special place in his heart for the Gentiles. For God so loved the world. The Jews were supposed to bring the Gentiles to God. They were supposed to show God's love to the Gentiles so the Gentiles could come into the kingdom. Jesus knew that. He looked upon them as very special people in the eyes of God. Jesus was appalled by what was taking place in the court of the Gentiles. Again, it was supposed to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of sacrifice, and a place of drawing close to God. So, Jesus responds. Look at verses 15 and 16. When he, Jesus, had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money. And overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So here we see meek and mild Jesus walking up to them and going, could you please move your stuff? Would you kindly take your stuff elsewhere to do this? Won't you please do that? I want to be nice and I want to be gentle. Uh, no. That's not what it says. It says. Jesus took his time and he fashioned a whip. He fashioned a whip. So all the time he's fashioned it, he's thinking about it. He's thinking about them and how they're dishonoring God and what they're doing towards God's house, his father's house. And he was pleased. He made the whip. And then it says he drove them out. The Greek word for drove is E E-K-E-K-B-E-L-O. It means to drive out with the suggestion of force. doesn't mean just to drive out. He drove them out. In other words, he kicked butt and took names. He went in there and drove them out and got rid of them. He didn't do it in a flash of anger. He carefully took his time, and he did it in his righteous indignation. The house of God had become a house of merchandise. We know that the second time Jesus clears the temple in the other three Gospels, he says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. A den of thieves. Now what's interesting here is verse 17. We see that the disciples remember scripture. It says in verse 17, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal from your house has eaten me up. Psalm 69, zeal from his your house has eaten me up. And I love this. A couple things I like about this. Number one, in Acts 4, The Sanhedrin look upon Peter and John and they perceive them as uneducated, unlearned men. But they knew Scripture. They knew their Scripture, specifically Psalm 69. Zeal has eaten Jesus up. He had such a passion for the things of God. Oh, would that we would have that kind of passion for the things of God. We have plenty of passion when it comes to the Daytona 500. I'm one, I love the race. We have plenty of passion when it comes for football games, basketball games, hockey games, whatever. We have plenty of passion for sitting and being baked in the sun. We have plenty of passion for eating. Oh, we love to eat, don't we? We have plenty of passion for all these things. Oh, how we would take that passion and direct it towards God. Oh, if we would have zeal for God like this. Zeal in our hearts for our Father. Wow. Oh, yes. We're very passionate about that. Zeal for His church. Zeal for God's church. Interesting, interesting couple verses there. And you know I'm not done. I want to put them together. I want to take what Jesus is doing, cleansing the temple, and I want to kind of put it together with what we read last week for changing the water to wine. I had this thought that I tried to follow through. Hopefully you can bear with me and we'll see where it goes. I want to put together the miracle at Cana and the cleansing of the temple. I want to go from conversion then cleansing. Okay, I think it's important. Jesus pointed to the new covenant in his blood that would supersede the law. We enter into this covenant with God when we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and we believe in the resurrection. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Way to salvation. When we are saved, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and lives inside of us. The old is gone. The new has arrived. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. This was pointed to in Cana when the water became wine. This was pointed to and alluded to when the water became wine. Not the old covenant, but the new covenant. Not the old, but the new. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 6. Turn, if you will, to First Corinthians 6, specifically 19 and 20. Specifically 19 and 20. First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Paul says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, In context, Paul is talking about sexual immorality in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the sexually immoral. But we can take it deeper than that. We can take it more than that. If you look at it, we are the temple of God. And the word here, temple, Greek word temple is naos, N-A-O-S. What does it mean? It doesn't mean the entire temple. It means the holy of holies
0: the book of john covers jesus's life and ministry here on earth but the book begins long before jesus was born in a manger he existed with god the father from the start so many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate but none of those mere men accomplished what jesus did Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821 keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on we're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today you can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website just click on the messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com we'd love to meet you too Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel, Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.